listening to GP Life Hacks with Dr. David Land. Okay, so let's take it a step back. I want to ask you how you went because you're already like, oh man, that was like, there's probably a whole bunch of stuff I forgot. That, that's a normal response. You're always going to feel like walking out of that session, you forgot a bunch of stuff. But the question is, did you do enough to pass? So this is not that anybody else has coined the term, but I like to think of them as major and minor criteria. So for every station, you don't, you obviously can't see what the mark sheet actually says, but you can nut it down to there will be stuff that's major criterion, i.e. if the candidate doesn't demonstrate this, they're not safe for general practice, therefore they don't pass. And the minor criteria is stuff, the icing on the cake, like did you ask for an Aboriginal health worker on top of everything else? That's not going to, you know, kill the patient either way, but, you know, it's icing on the cake type stuff, minor criterion. So what major criterion, i.e. if you didn't demonstrate this, you're not safe to deal with this guy in general practice on your own? The risk. Yes. So what, in terms of risk, what would you need to do to mitigate the risk to make sure you pass this station? Previous attempts, um, active thoughts, active plans. Yeah, that's right. You are, yeah, you asked him if he's suicidal, okay? So if anything else, yes, there's a whole bunch of other risk assessment questions, but in the very least, make sure you ask, are you thinking of hurting yourself? If you don't do that, you're essentially not safe for general practice. The studies quite convincingly show that you, the risk of self-harm doesn't increase by you asking somebody other than they're going to self-harm. Yeah, so it's an absolute must and you tick that box. In terms of then, so you assess that he's high risk by asking those questions, great, tick. Other major criteria would probably be, did you manage the risk? So did you adequately manage his risk? Ask him for admission voluntary and he agreed. So yes or no, did you or did you not? Yes, you did. Why do you sound so surprised? (laughs) Did you or did you not? Yes. Yes, own it. You nailed it. Well done. You passed the station. Good. So minor criteria, so I think you did a fantastic job. And the other, and so everything else is small potatoes. It's minor criterion at that point, because the major thing is, did you ask him whether he's going to self-harm or not? Yeah. Did you assess the risk and did you manage it? And you did. What if he'd said, and to be honest, they're probably not going to give you this in a hospital station because it drags out for too long. But what hypothetically, if he'd said, uh, I don't want to go to hospital and there's no way you're freaking making me. Try again. <laughs> yeah. And if you try again and it doesn't work. Uh, well, at that point, he's at high risk of harming yep. himself. I will bring him in. Well, and if he doesn't want to go? Is that ITO? You tell me, Doc. Is it an ITO? Yes. Yes, the answer is ITO. Okay. So they're not going to be that mean in OSCE station because there's just not enough time. For exam purposes, don't let that be ambiguous. It should be unambiguous. It should be basically, for exam purposes, if you judge their risk of high, Ask them to come into hospital, which you did. If they say no, you put them on an inpatient treatment order. Yeah. Or you say you do that in the exam. Yeah. Okay? Easy as that. Icing on the cake stuff, I think you nailed. The rookie error here would be you have to toe that line. It's a hard one because you can't be seen as being pushy with a patient who doesn't want to talk to you because they're depressed. But it's hard because then it is an eight-minute station. It's simulated. You never talk to this guy for only eight minutes alone and then make a judgment call on it. But this is what you have to do. So I thought you did quite well in terms of getting the salient points of history in such a small amount of time. So I thought you segued really good into neurovegetative symptoms. So you established that he's got low mood 
And I thought you asked in like five seconds flat, like, how's your sleep and appetite? And that's all you need to do. You know, don't beat around the bush, not for an eight minute OSCE. So I think you did that really well. And I thought you did well to assess his risk. So not only did you ask, are you going to hurt yourself? You also asked importantly, do you have a plan and do you have means? Do you have a date? Other questions, icing on the cake questions that you can consider, but it might be neither here nor there is, have you written any goodbye notes or have you left any goodbyes on Facebook? Mm. Okay. One I think you should add on because it probably will be a tick box is, are there any guns at home? And if there are guns at home, you need to call Saipol to remove said guns if he's high risk. Okay. Okay. Oh, sorry. The other icing on the cake question, because I thought you explored family history really well, would be basically for any mood complaints, just suss out, you know, do you do any drugs or alcohol? Oh, yes. It's probably going to be no, because in the eight minute station, you got no time for that, but it will be a tick box at least. Yeah. Okay, other than that, I think you nailed that station. You're not even sitting the damn exam yet. So, well done. Well, I think you probably forgot some of that DSM criteria. Didn't I? But that's all right because nobody f-ing cares. That's, my, <laughs> that's the whole point of the exercise today is nobody f-ing cares. They just want to know whether you're safe. Right, okay. Access to guns and then call the safe. Yep. Whether or not they give you a psychotic or an acutely manic patient. Same principles apply. Don't beat around the bush too much with the history. Just get what you need to get and get out the DSM. Just establish that there's a clear history there of progressive delusions and hallucinations. Get out of there and then assess the risk. Do you think he's going to hurt himself? Can we get him to hospital now for a further assessment? Yeah. Okay. And that's pretty much it. So, any disagreement there? Would anybody let this dude walk after he's been brought in by Saipol and Sass saying, oh, I'm worried that he might have a mental health issue and you assess him and he's shit-faced and he's quite upset no. with a good reason to be so, according to his story? No. Anybody want to let him go home? No. Good. Okay. So, how do you go about that? Well, you can't really assess whether or not he's got a genuine mental illness or if he's just like Why? under the influence. Excellent. Yes, so good. Because just, he's intoxicated. Just give him like a section 50, is it 56? Yes, absolutely. Do a short term with the aim for him. Absolutely. So what's what's a section 56? It's like a short term treatment. Care and control? Yes, it's mental called a care and control as well, colloquially, yes. But unlike an ITO, there doesn't have to be evidence of mental illness. They just might not have capacity to, yeah. Close. You're very close. Okay, so this is the thing they don't quite teach you until you be a psych registrar or an ED registrar. Yeah. The Mental Health Act of the state law has two provisions that are pretty relevant to us as doctors in the ED. Mm-hmm. One is an ITO, Section 57. Basically, what's the criteria for that? The yeah, ITO. Yeah. A risk of self and others. Yes. Mental illness. Least restrictive means. Correct. That's a big three, isn't it? Yeah. They have an acute mental illness, which makes them at significant risk of harm to self or others. And there's no other least restrictive means. And incorporating that last provision is he won't come willingly. Yeah. Yep. Or actually is a really good tip if that he won't come willingly or if your gut feel is he that's right if your gut feel is he says he's going to come in willingly but i just can't trust him at this stage and that could be for you know any number of reasons yeah yeah okay so that is section 57 or an ito 
In contrast, how does that differ from a Section 56 care and control? They don't need to have mental illness? Correct. It doesn't need to be a psychiatrist. Um, An authorised person, correct. Be any doctor. That is also, uh, even more nurse. than that, so any, any nurse, police officer. ambulance officer, police officer. Okay. Yep. And what else? So you said it doesn't have to be mental health. What does it have to be? Just like risk of harm to certain farmers or... Acute intoxication. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so they're too intoxicated for you so to make a... Comprehensive assessment. Well, not even a comprehensive assessment, just like an, any kind of adequate mental health assessment. Mm. Okay, so that's really handy because if he's so like this guy, shit face, mm. that you can't tell whether he's acting not his normal self because he's shit faced or because he's got an acute mental health illness... Mm then in the very least, at least you can keep him in hospital for his own safety under a care and control or section 56. Okay. The other key difference is by law, an ITO can only be done by a doctor or a mental health nurse that's got accreditation for this. Yeah. That's it. As opposed to the care and control, which can literally be anybody who's a doctor, a nurse, an ambulance officer or a policeman. Which is great and particularly useful for people who don't necessarily have the medical training but have to deal with these people, i.e. the police. Because the police aren't medically trained, but if their gut feel is like, crap, I don't know whether these guys, you know, that puts them in a tough position. So luckily the law allows that provision that they are allowed to bring them in to hospital legally, if need be against their will, to keep them safe. Because they're not sure whether it's a intoxication or it's a mental health illness. Okay. So, with this kind of guy, I at least want to bring him into hospital under care and control. And when he sobers up, then I want to decide whether he is actually okay. Now that he's sobered up, he's a normal person. That was quite clearly because he was drunk and that's why he was saying all that weird stuff. Or whether beyond being drunk and now that he's sober, he's still at risk to himself or others because of a mental illness. Mm -hmm. So if he sobers up and says like, no, I'm still, you know, he gives you the button, you know, he's not looking at you, he's heaps down, his girlfriend just left his job, job and he's talking about gassing himself, then at that point, you can either let him go home, but I don't think you should, mm-hmm. or put him on an ITO if you need to, okay? Or otherwise voluntarily bring him to hospital, okay? Could anything else be going on hypothetically? Could be manic or psychotic. That's right. So it could be acute mental health illness. Other than acute mental health, access one mental health illness, uh, drugs and alcohol. Sorry? That's right. So don't ever forget with an acute mental health presentation, don't ever forget your organic causes as well. Because they're not mutually exclusive, is it? Maybe he's got a thyroid storm and he's iron coke. Hey, they're not mutually exclusive. So with every patient, you should at least do a... Quick physical exam. Make sure they're not febrile and actually septic and that's why they're loopy because they've actually got a delirium, okay? Do a set of OBS. Make sure they're not, you know, acting all manic and panicky because they can't breathe and the sets are like 70 and their rest rate's like 40, okay? Yeah. Whether or not you do bloods is up to you on a case-by-case, but if it's a acute psychosis, I would have a very low threshold. In fact, I probably always do bloods. Okay, because acute psychosis, it's very similar in the presentation to delirium, isn't it? Mm -hmm. 
So who the hell knows? So it costs you nothing to get bloods done. Just make sure they haven't got a rip-roaring sepsis or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's an acute, so depression, suicidality picture, it's up to you. If your vibe physically examining them is, mm, I don't think they're septic. I think they're just depressed and suicidal. It's up to you whether you want to go the next step and do bloods. The argument is it can't hurt. So just to recap, everybody got that. So acute mental health case. Your first thoughts are, do they or do they not need to be in hospital? Most of the time is yes. If the answer is yes, the next question is, do I believe them when they say they're going to stay? Okay. I would advise you all to have a low threshold not to believe people when they say they're going to stay. Okay. Definitely, if they're psychotic, pretty much don't believe them. Because by definition, they don't have any insight if they're acutely psychotic. So while they might, in their honest heart, be thinking they agree with them, then somebody, voice in the head, might tell them not to and they piss off. Okay? If they are acutely depressed and suicidal, it's up to you. If your vibe is, uh, I really don't think they're going to harm themselves in the ward or do a runner, and they've actually come in to me for help, that's pretty reasonable. If you're in any doubt at all, you know, young male, just lost a job, just broke up with a girlfriend, has been dragged in here by mum saying, I don't want to be here, I don't want to be here, fine, I'll be here. And your gut feel is, I can't trust that. Put them on an ITO. The worst that can happen is, well, all that's going to happen regardless is either way, they're safe in hospital at least for the next 24 hours and you get a psychiatrist review the day after. And the psychiatrist is never going to be like, what the hell did you admit this guy for? What the hell did you put him in an order for? That order is there to protect everybody in the case of we're just not sure and we just need another 24 hours to see how things play out. So come up with your one sentence spiel. Basically, my spiel is I really think that we need to keep you safe. And the best way to do that is if you could come with us to hospital now and we make sure you get the help that you need and stay safe. Is that okay with you? But if they don't say that's okay with me, then what do you do? Say, well, I might have to do an RTO. Okay. Yeah, sure. So they say, I absolutely see where you're coming from. Nobody likes being in hospital. But at the same time, I really feel that you need to be in hospital for your own safety and those around you. So I'm going to... Activate what's called uh, inpatient treatment order, which is basically a legal order, meaning that you have to be in hospital. Okay, you could just leave it at that. You could just you could just leave it at that. Don't go into detail, especially not an occupation about. And if you do Tomorrow a runner, the psychiatrist will go. Yeah, yeah. Or if you do a runner, then we're going to call safe and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, even you know in real life, you probably don't need to go into that detail because then it just makes you just look... Just give them the, the like, like, an idiot. like... You've said your piece. <laughs> You've said your piece yeah. and said your rights. And your rights are legally you have to stay in hospital. It's not up to you to necessarily say, these are all the eventualities, yeah. how I'll get you back in the hospital if you leave. That's not your job. <laughs> your job is just to tell them their rights and their rights are, you need to stay safe. So we have put a legal order in place yeah. so that you legally need to stay in hospital. That's all. You've been listening to GP Life Hacks with Dr. David Lamb. Music by Nathan Huiyi. Stop it and say she still is mine.